Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. There is a third operating system beyond all that which is known to squares, noobs, and norms. It is an operating system as free as gravity and as granular as the sands of the earth. It is the fusion of community and technology, of security and usability. It lies between the peak of a tinkerer's curiosity and the summit of man's knowledge. It is a new dimension of collaboration. It is an operating system which we call GNU slash Linux. Please listen to the GNU World Order Oddcast. Learn more at oddcastplanet.org slash GNU World Order. And welcome to Linux in the Ham Shack. My name is Richard, KB5JBV, and after a short hiatus, I am back. I know that y'all really enjoyed the show without me, but you're not lucky enough to be able to do without me, do without me more than a week or so at a time. But while I'm thinking about it, let me introduce the other perpetrator of this particular this particular episode of Linux in the Ham Shack, and that would be my partner Russ. Russ up in Arkansas. Say hello to everybody, Russ. Well, hello, everybody. This is Russ from the rainy, slightly soggy, and better-weathered pine forest up here in north-central Arkansas between the peaks. And uh, things are nicer, easier to deal with. I guess it only takes a couple of hurricanes going up the east coast and along the gulf to make things a little more palatable for us here instead of the desert-like conditions and 105-degree temperatures we've had for the last two months. So things are going along pretty well, although it probably will turn out that I have to actually get the lawnmower out again at this point. And uh, we're sorry we missed you last week. The show's just not the same without you, but we're glad to have you back. That's right. It's always better if I'm not here, but y'all can't be lucky enough for that to happen twice. Well, maybe. I don't know. Yes, there's nothing like hurricane season down here in Texas to cool stuff off. Alrighty, so uh, I'm not hearing what went on last week because I have been uh, remiss and haven't heard the last episode. Let's take it in a whole new direction. Why don't we try something unique and new to the show? I know. Let's start out with feedback. Feedback. What do you think about feedback, Russ? Well, since I don't think we've done feedback at all in the last 45 episodes, maybe we should take that on. And, of course, that's a total trailer full of badger. But let's go ahead and do some feedback. Well, it's it's something new and innovative that we have never done before. And, uh, oh, what the heck. I can keep blowing it up, or we can just go do it. Let's see. What do we got? Uh, first up, we have a lovely, lovely piece of feedback. 
from, in fact, it uh, was posted over the website from John KF6EFG. Y'all have to excuse me. I don't have my dentures glued in tonight. It's, it reads as, as such. I agree with Matt and also have this to add. Most portable media players support the MP3 format and look at Aug as a bastard stepchild. No, I didn't say badger. I wasn't, it wasn't until I bought an Android phone that I found a portable media player that would support AUG. It is a shame the Apple, the biggest player in the portable media game, doesn't support a format that is superior in sound quality to MP3. Portable media player market is what drives the MP3 format. And that is a piece of feedback on the website from John, KF6EFG. So shall I start, Russ? Oh, you should definitely start. Well, let me see. Uh, yes, uh, yes and yes. No, actually, the truth of the matter is, you're correct. Apple should be paying attention to that, but I'm sure there's some reason why they can't put DRM on AUG files. They may be able to do it, but I bet there's some reason they can't. They can put it on the MP3 files. They can put it on the AEC files and uh, some other files. So that's probably a big consideration with the Apple folks. Also, there's lots of media players out there that will play AUG formatted files. You've got uh, my favorite, the Sansa Clip, but most of the Sansa players will. A lot of the other non-Apple players will. And even if you want to use an iPod, you can always put Rockbox on that bad boy or use one of the, uh, if you don't have DRM on the files, use one of the programs that will allow you to add music to your player that will convert it. Uh, G Potter, I believe, is one of those. But, you know, uh, we're going to keep getting feedback on this for a while and we're going to cre- keep reemphasizing there are ways to get around that MP3 situation, even though I think we should probably uh, let everybody know that some of this feedback started because of a question that was asked about dropping the MP3 feed. Don't know if I'm not going if that's going to happen because I'm not the technical guy, but uh, I'm I'm pretty sure it may not. Anyway, what what do you have to say, Russ? Well, we are definitely not going to drop the MP3 feed. There are too many people who use it, and I would say a, a vast majority of our our listeners are those people. So there's no fear in losing the MP3 fo- uh, feed, folks. It, it won't happen. And as far as uh, Apple and the iPod players using AAC and MP3, it's pretty clear that they use MP3 because that's the format that was pretty much developed first and the one that became standardized first, and that's why most people still use it. The AUG format came a little bit later and uh, was developed in order to be a patent-free audio codec but mp3 had already entrenched itself and as far as i recall aac was also at least partially developed by apple or folks involved at apple and that's why they have a foothold in the aac codec and why they like it so much you know that that's why they've gone the way they have and they have not yet embraced the aug format i'm not really sure why they haven't it seems like since a free player uh, has already been developed from the ziff.org guys that they could probably incorporate AUG playing in the iPhone relatively simply. Uh, they just haven't done it. 
So I'm not sure what that's going to take, but maybe we'll see it here in the near future. I don't know, but we can all hope. That's because Apple hates freedom. Everybody go out there, spread the word, Apple hates freedom. It's probably because they have worms in the core. I don't know. I'm not going to say. And hell, I might as well. Did I say hell? I meant badger. Uh, well, badger. Oh, hell, I don't know. Let's move to the next one. Okay, next one up. Yeah, well, I'd just add that I'd be willing to bet that Apple would have more converts if they actually played open formats. People actively despise Apple because they don't play OGS. And if they did, if they embraced freedom, they'd get more customers. And there you have it. Plus the fact they'd uh, have more customers if they decided to use GPL and not the BSD license for their operating system. All right, so uh, next, what have we got? Oh, yes, we have another comment on episode 44, the Tuxtel conglomerate. And y'all have no fear. So far, we've been it hadn't been great, but Russ always has a way of making me sound intelligent by the time the episode comes out. So I do not fear too much. All righty. Uh, concerning episode 44, Randall KC4WZE wrote in about running an app on a cell phone and computer. This, this actually used to be almost possible. Check out the OP and GPE. They were environments for Linux PDAs back before the PDA market was absorbed into smartphones. Anyway, OP used QT which made it relatively easy to port to KDE apps, and GPE used GTK+, a cut-down version of X-Windows. It would be pretty easy to compile the same program and make it run on GPE or on a Linux desktop. OP was nice, but QT could be installed on GPE, and then just about any Linux desktop app, was easy to recompile for the device. You could find OP and GPE on the Sharp, Zarius, well, I'm just butchering this one, PDAs, and sometimes people ported them onto HP, Jornatus. Unfortunately, that's all pretty obsolete now. I don't think you would want one ex- one executable which runs on in both places because it would be pretty much double the size. Uh, mobile devices usually use ARM processors, which are not compatible with x86 uh, desktops because they use less electricity. Then there is the obvious stuff like screen size, keyboard, mouse, etc. Had GPE caught on, though, a programmer could have easily written apps where the work is done by the same code. It would just be user interface stuff that gets swapped out and it would have to be completely separately compiled separately for the phone versus desktop. That sounds like something that is only in the interest of the programmer, but it brings us close to what it, what you described. If cell phones were using straight Linux with X windows and common desktop, Libraries like GTK and QT, we would see more applications which are written for both the desktop and cell phones. The guts of the apps would be shared between both places so they would work the same and it would be more natural 
for the user interfaces to come out similar. Desktop programmers would only require a little more work to get their app running on devices and vice versa. Uh, unfortunately, we are mostly at the mercy of cell phone makers, and they haven't chosen to go with that kind of environment. Instead, we have Android, which is a Linux kernel, but the apps are built to run in a custom environment, which has nothing to do with Linux and makes it pretty much impossible to share code between the desktop and the cell phone. In fact, the Android environment could probably be ported to Windows CE or any other kernel, and the apps and their users would never notice a difference. I'm not sure about Palm Pre, but I'm thinking they are similarly removed from the Linux desktop. If you really do want to play with sharing apps between the desktop and the cell phone, there is a way to sort sort of hack Android to run Debian in a chroot environment. I'm not sure what kind of access this Debian environment gets to the cell phone hardware through. I'd like to get FLDG and a sound modem going that way. I haven't gotten this to work yet, though. You can also run Android on your desktop, but then every app will always be designed for a tiny touch screen rather than your full-size monitor, keyboard, mouse. All right, and just to finish this up, we have a little bit left. And who was it that started this thing? It's back up at the top. Oh, yeah, Leaf, KC8RWR. He says, and last but not least, check out opencellphone.org. These guys build their own cell phones using various modules, which are available for hobbyists. With one of those, you could run GPE. It'd be great to see people do this and pick up on the GT, on GPE development. I'd like to do this myself someday, but really don't have the time right now. Well, welcome to the boat. We're all in. And I believe that's the end of the email. He didn't sign off or anything, so... Thank you, Lee, for your long-winded <laughs> bit of info on uh, running applications across different platforms, particularly uh, desktops, PDAs, and cell phones. Do you have anything you want to say about this one? Oh, I was just going to say, you know, uh, it, it was very informative. And, um, yeah, I can see there'd be a lot of problems with trying to get one thing happening, and that's uh, exactly what we were talking about. Uh, if you get that FL Digi and sound modem working on your phone, though, let us know. We would like to know about that. But uh, otherwise, thank you for the feedback. And our next piece of feedback comes from John, uh, E-I-O, no, E-I-7-I-G, John. Uh, John, if you're listening, I enjoyed talking to you on the uh, on IRC the other day. Anyway, John says, hi guys, uh, was interested to hear the discussion RE LOTW or logbook of the world in episode 43. I'm not sure if you are the A on the AWRL Yahoo group. Anyways, the following was posted last March. I've included it verbatim. I've been working on updates to the trusted QSL package that used, that's used for processing logs to update to trusted QSL. I've made several fixes to the software, including the following. 
one. Fix the certificate has expired when saving your user certificates or loading save certificates. No need to backdate your computer any longer. Number two, updated the configuration file to fix the spelling of U.S. counties to correspond with the ADIF standard. Three, added ITU and CQ zone specifications to the trusted QSL configuration so that zone selections can be verified and automatically made for most DXCC entities. The ITU and CQ zones are selected automatically for U.S. states and Canadian provinces. Oh, that was a semicolon. See, that just goes to show all of y'all that Richard is like, I'm not illiterate. I'm not literate. I'm kind of somewhere in that foggy gray area as purgatorio literate or something. Anyway, let's try it again. Great big badger time. Uh, for most DXCC entities, the ITU and CQ zones are selected automatically for U.S. states and Canadian provinces. There are also set in most cases. Invalid zone numbers can no longer be selected for your entity state. No more reversed ITU-CQ zones. Number four, require the user to select their U.S. state or Canadian province when setting up a location. Number five, fixed a number of user interface glitches. For example, hitting enter when completing the password completes the dialog. Double-clicking an entry on the edit station location dialog edits that location versus closing the window. Six, updated the software to correspond with the updates included with Linux packages, Debian, to fix completion errors. I've tried to ring it, ring this out and have tested on Windows, Mac OS, Linux, 32 and 64 bit, but I'm sure there's some bugs still there. However, I think it's a real improvement over trusted QSL 1.11. Get it from http colon stroke stroke www.rickmurphy.net stroke l-o-t-w for Windows, Mac, OS, and Linux. 73's Rick. You might want to contact him for what it's worth. I've built his uh, version on both Linux, uh, Ubuntu 10.04, and OS X, and it works fine on both. Hopefully, Russ, you'll remember your password soon. Guys, a small point. I've just been looking at the lhspodcast.info site, and I can't find the link to any of the gear you mentioned. Also, the LHS forums link doesn't go anywhere. See you, John, EI7IG. Well, there you go. And I'm going to let Russ have all that logbook of the world stuff because I don't really use it anymore. However, I will say that uh, yes, yes, maybe, sort of, and kind of. Go ahead, Russ. Well, I looked at this email after John sent it to us, and I went and downloaded the stuff from Rick Murphy the newer versions of Logbook of the World software, TQSL and TQSL cert. And the first thing I did is I went over to my Windows box and I installed it on there. Uh, this Windows 7 box. Checked to see how they worked and it seemed to be working fine, but of course it was working fine in the older versions too. 
I could not find my TQSL um, private key file to update the certificate that I had, but it turns out it was because I missed a step in, when I did it the first time. So I just requested another certificate from the ARRL, downloaded it, got it installed, did the step I forgot to do the first time, which is to save the key file as a PKCS12, and made sure I kept that handy. Then I took the files for the Linux version of the software, brought it over to one of my Linux boxes, which is running Ubuntu 10.04, and I built the software on there, TQSL and TQSL cert. I did have to install a couple of dependency development packages. I know one of them was libxpat1, and I can't remember what the other one was, but when the configure failed, uh, it told me which ones I needed to add, so that wasn't too too hard. Um, once I got that done, I basically just took the certificate files and the PKCS12 file that I got on my on my Windows machine, copied them over to the Linux machine, and everything worked hunky dory. I didn't actually do the the certificate install and and the certificate upgrade on Linux. Uh, I'll probably try that next just to see if it works. But the upgraded versions of the Logbook of the World software, the 1.12 version that Rick Murphy has created, definitely do work, and they are supported on Linux. So this is good news for those of us who use Logbook of the World, and I hope that everybody who likes Logbook of the World and uh, likes the support under Linux will go ahead and go to the site that we just gave you and uh, download the software, try it out, and see how it works for you. I'll probably go ahead and update a couple of my ADIF files from my uh, Shack PC here uh, in the next few days and see how that goes. I think we may have lost Richard. No, I'm here, I think. Okay, we lost your video. I have been. Uh, that's because everything's freaking out on me over here. You know, if I didn't have bad luck, bad luck I'd be Russ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I only wish. Anyway, so uh, the, the new version of Trusted QSL works really well, and uh, I guess you haven't had uh, any time to play with it, and you don't use Logbook of the World anymore anyway, so um, I guess we can probably thank John for that email and move on to the next thing. Well, I have thought about using uh, Logbook of the World again, but uh, I just really haven't had time. In fact, I'm trying real hard next week not to miss Route 66, which I've mixed, missed for the last two years and uh, get some of this stuff back going again but that's okay uh we'll give it another shot when we get a chance and we will make sure that uh we're able to get back with some information on that get back with some information on that all righty so uh last piece of email i've got just so happens to be a nice little email from david uh m0dcm and he's telling me about he had been to the telford ham fest Wherever Telford is. I know it's someplace in Great Britain, y'all. But he went to the Telford Ham Fest and he found that Linux was represented at the Ham Fest. And David writes, hey, Russ and Richard. Hey, David. Uh, I'm, uh, sorry, I'm, I missed that cue. Huh? I missed that cue. Sorry about that. <laughs> I'm getting to become... A regularish email, emailer. Just thought I'd let you know about the Telford Ham Fest that happened on Sunday, the 5th of September. 
Linux was there in a huge way. Uh, thanks to the Slug Shropshire Linux Users Group and myself, M0DCM and Miles G4GSB, who are members of the Max Packs, uh, Midlands AX25 Packet Users Group and Slug. Uh, we ran two demo machines. One was my netbook running Ubuntu 910 connected to a Yaesu FT817ND, fully cat controlled, uh, which was running FL Digi and Whisper. And the other had Ubuntu 10.04 installed on it to show how far Linux has come and that it, uh, is not just for techno geeks anymore. We had many people come over to the style, asking questions and taking CDs, which we were giving away. One of the most asked questions was, there's not many applications for Linux, is there? You can, you can see how we took that myth. We had 50 Ubuntu 10.04 CDs and 50 Ubuntu 9.10 CDs, and all of the Lucid CDs had gone with a few leftover of karmic. I think we got rid of people's myths and hopefully as I gave out my email address to a few, even if I get one or two emails saying that they've installed Ubuntu, we've done our little bit for the community. I know a couple of guys who visited us also listened to the Linux in the Ham Shack, listened to Linux in the Ham Shack, and I would like to say a big thanks to you for your great podcast. He's talking to you, Russ. Uh, the Linux community is healthy in Shropshire and West Midlands. All the best and keep the Linux light alive in the ham radio world. That's Dave, M0DCM, Dudley, West Midlands in the UK. Well, thank you, Dudley. And we're glad to know you're out there making things happen. And you can thank Russ for this wonderful, wonderful show because he does all the work. I'm just the pretty face. So what do you think about that, Russ? Oh, you've always been more than just a pretty face. He sent this to both of us, so he was he was praising us both, and he had even addressed it to you too, so you can't say it was all about me. But thanks, Dave. I really do appreciate the email, and I, and I like to hear that everything over in Great Britain is going great when it comes to Linux and the ham shack. We, uh, well, I anyway, I'm pretty sure Richard does too. We listen to the ICQ guys, but they don't seem to focus on Linux specifically. They talk about all kinds of stuff. And I also listen to Ubuntu UK, so I, I like to hear about all the stuff that's going on in Great Britain. And a lot of the time, it seems like you guys over there have more avid participation in Linux and amateur radio than we do over here. And maybe that's just a perception issue I have, but that's the way it seems sometimes. Uh, do you get that perception, Richard, or you think the United States is still where it's at? Well, no, I find I find that there's a lack of participation uh, all over the place, and in fact, it always looks greener somewhere else. However, them guys are really getting after it, you know. Uh, uh, here, you know, the clubs in the next county over always seem like they're doing. Them. Uh, more than what's going on here. But yes, I listen to Colin and Martin and they do use Linux. Uh, I listen every once in a while. I catch them saying something about Ubuntu. 
So uh, they use it. They don't heavily promote it. But the great thing about uh, Great Britain is they've always been uh, on top of these things. I'm sure they're on top of amateur radio and Linux. Uh, they still have Packet Alive there and are actively working on it, and it's getting harder and harder to find that. So it's nice to know that our friends in our friends in the UK are actually uh, uh, starting to embrace an operating system. It's not going to take every, every penny out of, uh, uh, new ham operator's pocket. Yeah. And I, I talked to, uh, Jim, uh, I'm sorry, not Jim. I talked to John, who we had an uh, email from previously, EI7IG in ICQ. And he was telling me about all the cool things he's doing with AX.25 and packet too. So apparently packet is still alive and well in the United Kingdom, even though it's pretty much dead over here. And these guys, um, G4, GSB, and M0DCM, Dave, they, it looks like they put on a good show up there in Shropshire, wherever that is. I'll probably have to look it up when we get done with the episode. I didn't get a chance to talk about it, but a couple weekends ago, we actually went to a ham fest too here in uh, Joplin, Missouri. We set up our, you know, our usual booth, like we're going to set up at OLF, and we had two days of, to hang around with the folks who came to the ham fest, and Friday was a little light, but Saturday, we had a good time talking to everybody who came through, and we managed to whip off, uh, I think it was 20 10.04 CDs and talk to a bunch of people who came by and gave those away. We didn't think we were going to get a lot of interest, but we actually did. And we had a couple of guys who came by, and I had uh, one of the web SDR sites up, and we were listening to some broadcasts out of the uh, D.C. area, and we're playing it from our computer into the crowd, and they were... They were thrilled and impressed by that and said we should definitely uh, talk about talk about that more when we talk about stuff. Uh, they, they thought WebSDR was the coolest thing since sliced bread or since open source or, you know, since some early awesome thing. We got, we got the word out there. We gave away some CDs. We got another drawing to do, and we got OLF coming up in, sadly, a couple of days. So this is going to be released after OLF actually happens. Sorry about that, folks, but we hope uh, we saw you there when when we were there. This was this was a good email. It was uh, very interesting. I like hearing what's going on around the world in amateur radio and in Linux and open source. Uh, and uh, I'm always interested in hearing about folks who are doing the same thing that we're doing. So uh, thanks for listening, Dave. Thanks for getting the word out and uh, letting other people know about the show because you said other folks were listeners of our of our program. So uh that's great. Good on you, as they say. So anyway, <laughs> uh I think I'm done. Well, I was just looking and uh, looks to me like Shropshire is uh due west of Wolverhampton, uh, which most people won't know where that is. However, it is west northwest of Birmingham, which uh kind of puts it uh over that way. Yeah, unless you, unless you're referencing London, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yes, that would be the West Midlands. So the West Midlands, so it's halfway up and to the left. Yeah. Okay. In fact, it's the same. It's the opposite direction from Dublin as it is from Birmingham. And you need to know where Birmingham is. That's where Ozzy Osbourne come from. Uh, the only Birmingham I'm aware of is the one in Alabama. And it's almost due south of the other place you ought to know where it is, which is Liverpool. No, I don't know where that is either. 
my uh, my UK geography is is uh, totally badger. Well, that's what Google's for, buddy. That's what Google's for. All right, we've probably gone long enough that uh, we probably need to take us a break. We are running way behind and ambling and rambling and everything else. So uh, do you think we ought to take a break, Russ? Yeah, I think we definitely ought to take a break, and we'll probably just split the show in two this time because we had enough feedback that we ran a little bit long, but we'll come back on the other side and we'll talk about something not feedback.
Okay, everybody, and we are back. Boy, that was another marathon feedback session. You know, we're going to have to start doing like uh, Larry and Tom do over yonder. Uh, I know they listen to us, so uh, hi, Larry and Tom, because occasionally they make reference to hearing us say something. Anyway. <laughs> hi, Larry and Tom. Hi, Tom and Larry. Yeah, and Tom, uh, I keep checking that license. It's still available. You know, uh, uh, Tom used to be an amateur radio operator. I didn't know that, so his his old call sign is still up for grabs? Yeah, it's open out there, and I told him it's not that hard. It wouldn't be that hard to get it back. It'd be uh, two tests and uh, and a $20 bill to the FCC. But uh, anyway... We digress. Uh, we just want to know, want you to know we love, we love the show, Larry and Tom. All right. Well, so, except uh, for that whole, uh, except for that whole, uh, audible thing. Oops. Anyway, <laughs> tell us what's coming up, Russ. Well, actually, we only have one announcement that I'm aware of, and that one is that the conference I mentioned in the last episode and the one before that, that Cheryl and I and a group of other people who are now going to talk about, uh, who are now going to try and put on, I should say, is coming up on May 6th and 7th of 2011. The website is magnetcon.info, and it is, of course, the Mid-America GNU Linux Conference, Networkers Conference. We are going to have a really, really great show. At least we're planning on a really good show. If you know anyone who's willing to sponsor the show or wants to be an exhibitor, please send them to the website. All of the forms and applications are there. We definitely want to try and make this thing happen. The registration is all set up and ready to go, but it will not be open until December 1st. But come December 1st, you'll definitely be able to register. There'll be free registration. There'll also be a couple of paid packages, which will give you some extra swag and access to some extra events that free attendees won't get to go to. So uh, it might be worth throwing $50 into the pot just to have a little bit better experience. It's all going to be a lot of fun, very, very educational. We're going to have a lot going on. We're planning on having a live music concert and cocktail social to close things out. It should be a whole lot of fun. We hope everybody will come. And also, if you're interested in doing a talk, we are definitely looking for, for talks. A uh, speaker application is located on the website as well, under the speaker tab. All you got to do is download the PDF, fill it out, email it back to us, or fax it back. However you want to get it back to us, just as long as we get it back, and we will consider you for a talk. So, and you know, it's open to everybody. So go ahead and send an application in. We definitely like to hear from everybody. Uh, that's Mid America GNU Linux Networkers Conference, May sixth and seventh, two thousand eleven, in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, check out magnetcon.info and, uh, there's forums over there, FAQs, all the information you're ever going to need. Uh, so check out the site and we hope to see everybody at the show. And everybody go on out there. If you can get out there to it, go on by and check things out. Go, go see what Russ and Cheryl and, and the folks have got going up there because, uh, every, every time you show up at one of these events, it doesn't matter if it's, uh, Russ's or, uh, or uh, one of the other ones around the area, you're helping support Linux in a in a minute way, or maybe even a big way. But you're helping support things. You're helping uh, make make people aware of what's going on with the uh, Linux community. So y'all go on out there and check it out. Remember that's May sixth, two thousand eleven, 
MagnetCon. And uh, you can go over to, what is that, Magnet MagnetCon.com? MagnetCon.com will work. The The actual site is MagnetCon.info, but we also have .com, .org, and .net. Well, there you go. Y'all go on out to MagnetCon.info, .com, org, net, uh, chicken, badger, whatever y'all want to put in, y'all go on over to it, and, and you're liable to end up there. So uh, that's great. Something else I wanted to talk about, it, it may not fit in announcements, but we'll stick it in here. We had an email that said something about there not being a, a very visible link about, uh, what is it, the um, LHS merchandise. You know, stuff like shirts and, and bumper stickers and drawers and all that other stuff. And I must be missing it myself. Is it on the website, Russ? I don't know that I actually have a uh, well-defined link to all our merchandise. I probably need to go put one on there. Well, there you go. All right, y'all. Here's a promise we'll make to y'all. We're going to get a link on there so y'all can find the, the stuff, the shirts, the, the mugs, the log books, the inflatable women, everything, even, even a stuffed badger if you want it. But y'all, y'all keep checking out the website and, and it ought to show up pretty soon. Look, go on over to lhspodcast.info, lhspodcast.info, and, uh, we will, we will sure enough, uh, see what we can make happen. And there was something else I wanted to say before we went on, and I can't remember what it was. I apparently have lost my mind. No, I never had it in the first place. So we'll just move on, and then we'll uh, double back. Play a little ZZ Top. Huh? ZZ Top, double back from the 80s. Never heard of them. Never heard of them? <laughs> a Texan who's never heard of ZZ Top. What kind of Texan are you? I would be a pretty piss poor Texan if I didn't know who ZZ Top was. I'd be less piss poor than if I if I didn't know who the other guy was. All right, so uh, I've ran across a few uh, websites this week that um, you know I've been going around doing other things and everything else. And I ran across uh, one place that reminded me of an article that I had seen a few weeks back, and I just wanted to refresh y'all's memory on this. Uh, over on the AWRL website a few weeks ago, Bert, uh, AB0VI, uh, had submitted an article, and they went ahead and printed it on the main website, and it's called Ubuntu for uh, Ubuntu Linux for Hams. And I wanted to call y'all's attention to this so you can point people to it. Some of the other amateur radio area operators in your area, when you're talking to them about Linux, you're trying to get them to give it a try and everything else. Because most of these guys, if there's a write-up on it on the, the ARRL website, they're just going to go ahead and try it simply because there's a write-up on it on the ARRL website. You know, that's, uh, quite honestly, that's the way that Ham Radio Deluxe got started. Uh, it was just kind of chugging along as a little project and it got a big write up on the ARRL website and then it took off. And not only do, do they have this article going on, they also have, uh, over on the side what looks like some thumbnails of, uh, Xlog, FL Digi, Circuit Maker, which is a program that'll run under Linux and, uh, Copy a picture of the Hardy Heron desktop. So they've had some of this stuff for a while. Uh, y'all go over and check it out. Uh, we're going to make sure it's in the show notes. If you can understand me well enough to go get it, 
It's http colon stroke stroke www.awrl.org stroke ubuntu dash linux dash four dash hams with s on the end. Y'all go on over and check that one out because, uh, uh, like I said, it's really going to be, uh, it's going to be a helpful piece of, for lack of a better term, propaganda when you're trying to sell some of your fellow hams on Linux. So what do you think about that, Russ? Well, I haven't had a chance to look at this site, although I'm going to bookmark all of the ones that you're talking about here uh, so I can take a look at them and see what's going on in these sites. It's always good to get more ham radio information because my ham radio foo is, is not the greatest. Or you could just check out the show notes at www.lhspodcast.info. LHSpodcast.info. Oh, what the hell? Linux in the Ham Shack podcast for crying out crapping loud. <laughs> Badger. <laughs> you have to shut your badger. Yeah. All right. At least we got that one out. All right. Let's go to the next one. All right. Uh, another site I ran across this past week was, uh, uh, one that's called myhamshack.com. Myhamshack.com. And I got to looking around, checking it out, and you know what? This was a great idea. I don't know why I didn't do it myself. And what it basically is, you can go over here and get what amounts to a free blog type website type thing you know when the internet was first coming up guys like me we wanted to have a website where we could post what we like to do and pictures and um brag about stuff that don't mean didn't mean crap to nobody anytime and and that kind of stuff and everything else and uh it, it's great. I mean, this thing has got a lot of guys on here signed up for it. You can roam around in there, read some of the stuff they posted. They've got a classified section, station activity blogs and stuff like this. And the best of all, uh, and you guys that have been on, uh, uh, qsl.com or net or whatever it is for years, I can't even get in there to shut down my old page because the guy that runs the place doesn't ever answer his emails. If you've had to deal with that, you're going to think this is a godsend. Y'all go on over here and check this out. All you really got to do is uh, uh, give them a little bit of information, and voila, you've got some space. I'm not real sure what they do as far as the uh, pictures or media that you post over there. I'm sure it probably goes out to one of the picture services or something like that and gets stored uh, somewhere off-site. But anyway, I can sit here and talk about it all night. Uh, I really didn't have a time, didn't have time to fully explore it, but I really think this is a great idea because it's something that we radio operators have always needed, always used, and it's a fresh place to go uh, make this happen. So y'all go on over to www.myhamshack.com www.myhamshack.com not to be confused with my amateur radio and uh i've got to get back in touch with him see what's going on so y'all go check that one out do you know check out the show notes we're we're lucky this time around that everything that we're talking about this evening is going to be in the show notes we've made a 
a heck of an effort to make sure that Bill's, uh, Bill's got all this stuff. So what do you think about that one, Russ? That's kind of an interesting one. I think I've seen myhamshack.com before, but I can't remember when. I know it's been a while. It's interesting to be able to do that kind of file sharing and picture sharing uh, of, of my ham shack, although the the ham shack here behind me is not exactly photo worthy, so I'm not sure I would participate in that. But it's it's always interesting to see other people who spend a lot more time on it and a lot more money on it than, than I ever could or will and see what, what they've got going on. I, I remember when I was at the ham fest a couple weekends ago that there were three or four tables there that I wish I had just about everything on them. But unfortunately, it's not going to happen. Although I did walk away with a uh, with a Rig Blaster Plus. I just got to order a replacement power supply for it from uh, the guys over at West Mountain Radio. I'm actually going to be on the air on some digital here pretty quick. Can't wait. Woohoo! Russ going to be on the PSK. Y'all watch out. He, he, he'll be coming to get you. Yep, I'm also on Echolink now. I got I got a Windows machine set up on Echolink, and I have the Echolink client on my uh, on my uh, iPhone. So a couple of closed source technologies for using Echolink, but interestingly, I use the open source version of TQSL and and TQSL Cert, the ones we talked about in the first half of the show, uh, in order to authenticate my my call sign with uh, Echolink. So that was that was kind of cool. I actually got that working and used it for something uh, other than Logbook of the World. It, it has its purposes. Wow. I think years and years ago when I checked it out and decided I didn't care for it, that all I had to do was, like, fill something out, and all they had to do is check me against the FCC database that I was on there. I didn't know you had to go through all that mess now. Um, there, there are a couple of different ways to get, you know, registered with the Echolink guys, but since I had just gone through all the trouble of getting trusted QSL set up and working, and that was one of the ways they could do it instantaneously, just because uh, because your cert gets issued by the ARRL, they know that if you've got one, that you are who you say you are. So I was able to instantly register with uh, with Echolink and get up and running with it. Unless, of course, you're Jim Haney. Who the hell is Jim Haney? Yeah, who the hell is Jim Haney? Didn't even take off because nobody, because Russ doesn't know who the hell Jim Haney is. Right. All right, let us move on. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have to go look up Jim Haney now, aren't I? Ex-president of the ARRL, he happens to be a local boy here. Him, him and I for a lot of years had 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 call signs that were only like a a letter or two off from each other, and it big story. Dallas Amateur Radio Club. Yeah, I don't follow that whole politics crap. I I wouldn't know one ARRL officer from another or a section manager from a hole in the wall. Which I don't understand that. All you ARRL members, why do we even have a president when uh, there's a guy, another guy that runs the thing, uh, the CEO, uh, whatever he is? Uh, it was Sumner last time I looked. Anyway, let's let's move on to the next thing. We we try and get this stuff. It's hard to put a show together a show about nothing. Of course, Jerry Seinfeld did it for years. So. <laughs> Well, Jerry Seinfeld and Larry, Larry David are obviously uh, a bit more talented than we are. Yeah, but I'm purdy. <laughs> That's true. You do have a very uh, comely visage. I have a way about me. <laughs> you have a yeah. whole lot of badger. And, and I'm odiferous. Anyway. Let's so, hit that last uh, website. Come on, go for it. 
<laughs> Let's get on next one. All right. I, I know uh, normally I don't do blog type stuff or bring blog type stuff to you that uh, very often. Occasionally we uh, we have something like that, but uh, actually this turns out to look like it's on Tumblr, and it's called uh, what is it? Uh, it's more complicated than that, and it's at uh, illruminations.com, illruminations.com. And I ran across this one today. I was uh, hunting some information on uh, new hams and stuff like that, and this one popped up, and I got over there and got to looking at it. And this guy, he starts off in the beginning with uh, a lot of fairly simple comp uh, things and uh, moves into some other stuff. It looks like the last four posts he's got on here all have to do with uh, SDR radios that uh, can be controlled using Linux. There's a lot of good information in this thing from uh, what I was uh, seeing. And, uh, you know, I think it's one y'all might want to go over and check out. Guy's name is Steve, AI4QR, and I can't remember which uh, article exactly I came over here to look at. But it's like I said, as I got to looking at more and more of them, there's... Uh, pretty straightforward explanations on some uh, some stuff that otherwise might be a little more difficult to soak in. And uh, he apparently is a fan of Ubuntu because a lot of these posts have something to do with Ubuntu Linux. So y'all go on over and check this one out. Like I said, it appears to be on Tumblr, but that's okay. Uh, as you, you can get to the archives, you can see what the old posts are. And it looks like it goes back all the way to 2008. So uh, y'all go over and uh, and take a look. So what do you think about that one, Russ? Yeah, this one looks interesting. I bookmarked it as well. And it's got a bunch of stuff here on uh, SDR under Linux and the Soft Rock Radio. And I've got the uh, softrockradio.org site uh, bookmarked as well. So I'm going to check this out. I've been I've been interested ever since the Hamfest and the and the folks talking about. Our, our demo of the web SDR stuff to uh, kind of get into this SDR thing and and see what stuff is available out there under Linux so we can we can bring it to our listeners and this this looks like it might be a good jumping off point so I'm definitely going to check out on that and hopefully in an episode or two we can talk a little bit about SDR again and you know I'm I visited with some of the guys from one of the companies that puts out uh, SDR radios down at Belton last year. I've been hearing the guys over at Low SWR talk about the uh, soft rock and uh, some other stuff. So apparently they're uh, they're chipping away at it too. Isn't it funny that all the all the podcast hosts or a bunch of the podcast hosts seem to be running Linux because I believe those soft rock radios are uh, uh, more of a Linux thing. They run them with Windows, but I think they're more of a Linux thing. At least everybody I've heard talking about them runs Linux. But anyway, uh, yeah, and. Uh, in the future, I do want to talk about soft, software-defined radios more because uh, that's something that we've been kind of staying away from because we really don't know that much about it, but uh, that doesn't mean we can't get smart about it. All right, so uh, we've got all those. So check out the show notes. You ought to be able to find the links to get those, and uh, maybe they'll help you out. If they do, let us know so we can make sure we uh, get them prominently displayed over at the website. Uh, get them in a the list somewhere. All right, let's talk about a few more things. Uh, unfortunately, uh, this particular episode is going to be one of them, but you might get a lot of little snippets of stuff you can use, and so don't hit stop yet. 
<laughs> Rush just hit stop. I heard the, I heard the heard the recorder click. Oh, uh, I guess I better start it back up again. There's there's a nugget or two left. He turned me off. I did, but I, I turn you off all the time. You, you always I, tell me that. Badger, no, you're a tall, sexy man. <laughs> and everybody who's uh, at OLF knows differently. <laughs> All right, let's move on now. Uh, anyway, uh, I was something else that was going on this week is I was kind of checking out the repos and looking at the amateur radio stuff and seeing what we might be able to bring you all in future episodes and stuff. And I got to noticing that there's some stuff in the repos now that I've never seen before. New stuff, stuff that I saw on websites and stuff a couple of years back that I, there was not a copy in the repo or I missed it or something like that. And I know you guys are banging away at me in the chat room right now. Unfortunately, I can't see you. Anyway, so I was going down through there and... You know, we're going to start digging into these things, satellite programs and antenna programs and, and stuff like that and try and bring you all more information on them. Um, I ran across uh, PSK mail, which I had forgotten was in there. PSK mail has been around a while. Uh, there's also bulletin board programs, other packet stuff and everything else. And if y'all know anybody that runs Linux that has in, that can take the 2001 how to on packet radio and update that bad boy, please have them do it because I got to looking around for that today and still all you can find is that 2001, uh, uh, copy. However, couple things I did run across, and we were going to talk about one of them tonight, but uh, we're running a little short on time, so we'll have to talk to it, talk about it next time, maybe. Uh, another one's a little bitty thing that, you know, I'm the kind of guy that likes a program that does one thing, and it does it pretty good, and it does it pretty quick. So this, this particular uh, app just stood out for me, and it's called CallGet. Have you heard of CallGet, Russ? I have heard of CallGet, and I've even heard of a little bit of controversy surrounding CallGet, but you may get to that, so go ahead. No, I ain't heard that part. What's controversial about it? Uh, my understanding was that CallGet did some sort of base. Um, uh, it basically was a web scraper for the QRZ.com website, and that's how it retrieved its information, and people were a little upset about that. Well, there's more than one program out there that does that. Well, yes, but I think what was upsetting to folks was that CallGet does what it does, but it did it without actually doing a database lookup. It stole its information from another site that was already doing the database lookup. Oh, I see. All right, so y'all don't use CallGet, and I'll eliminate it from my computer. Let's go ahead and burn that bad boy. Next thing is G-Predict. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily tell people not to use call get just because of that but you know well you know actually to tell the truth i really didn't know that the the fact of the matter is that um i stuck it in there this afternoon i tapped in some call signs it came up it works the way i would assume it was supposed to and uh currently on the machine i was testing it on i don't have a logger that has a call sign lookup or anything like that because the ham radio machines on the other side of the room and uh, I thought I'd just give it a look. I like little little programs like this. Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something that is only possible to do in the open source world, 
and that is I'm going to download a, a copy of the source code of Colgate, and I'm going to see if that's what it does. Well, see, Russ is going to check it out. Russ is going to check it out, and we'll bring you some more information on it. But, you go ahead and talk about G-Predict in the meantime. Yeah, and I was looking at G-Predict today for uh, trying to find something that was fairly simple to do satellite tracking with to get into, and I got to looking at G-Predict, and, man, it will do a lot of stuff. It looks like it would be easy to set up for the first-timer, and uh, it would do most of the stuff that somebody's been at it for a while would want to do. Um, you know, I've never actually spent a lot of time doing satellites and stuff, but over the years, I have proceeded that direction, uh, loaded up different uh, satellite tracking programs, uh, figured out where to get my caps and where to put them into the program and all this other stuff and uh, everything. And G-Predict seems to be pretty simple. Um, I'm going to end up having a little time to check out a couple other ones before we come back with this topic, but that's okay. We will check it out. Uh, one of the things you, that will make it easier for you new guys is the fact that you can download it. And I downloaded it and stuck it on a Linux Mint machine, which won't be a Linux Mint machine tomorrow. Downloaded it, stuck it in there, uh, fired it up, put my name in, uh, location. You don't even need to know what your longitude and latitude is. If you put in your grid square, it'll, it'll, that's close enough. It'll automatically retrieve the uh, satellite information for you and get it clicking in the right direction. It looks good. It's easy to use, and it's something y'all might look into. Like I said, we run a little long on this episode, so we're probably going to have to hold off until next time uh, getting into a really thorough discussion of this and possibly some others. So what you got going on on that side, Russ? We definitely should take some time and talk about G predict a little bit because we've used it in our demos at the various events we've been to. When we show off some of the ham radio applications under Linux, we use uh, G predict as one of the cool looking applications, especially since it can run offline. You download the TL, the telemetry data and then you can run the tracker even if there's no network connection. So it's a great demo app. The only problem is we found that some configuring some parts of G predict are pretty difficult. Some of the places where you have to go and some of the buttons you have to push to make it do what you want to do aren't exactly as intuitive as you might hope. So it would probably be good to do maybe a half episode on G-Predict and kind of give out those little hints, tips, and secrets about G-Predict that make it maybe harder to use than the average application. But if you if you know the right trick, then uh, you you'll be all set. Jumping back here to call Git, it turns out that I was correct that um, I looked at the source code and it's basically a very simple C++ application that does a screen scrape of qrz.com and returns the call sign and you know various data uh, based on that. And uh, I didn't even have to actually look at the source code because in the readme file that comes packaged with the source, uh, the author, Mike K6EEP, that's uh, Kilo 6 Echo Echo Papa, uh, says, uh, as you may be able to tell, it is searching via qrz.com. So if the HTML code that is on their site changes, it will confuse call get. But I will keep it updated in the future. Uh, he's released it under the GPL v3, but it is basically just a, uh, a glorified screen scraper and not really even glorified. 
So if that doesn't bother you in any way, feel free to use it. It's a you know it's a simple it's a very simple application C plus plus app that is in the repositories for doing call sign lookups. If you have a problem with the fact that he's basically just screen scraping QRZ.com, then you can make your own decision about using it or not using it uh, for that reason. So there you go. There's the story on CallGit. I'm so confused. I don't know why everybody would get so upset because you can either fire up a browser or you can use it. I don't know. It's not for me to figure it out. I am just a pretty face. Well, like I said, I, I don't particularly have an issue with it. I think some folks may think it seems like cheating a little bit because you're basically letting somebody else who's already done a lot of work for handling the call sign lookups and you're bypassing any of the the QRZ information that they may want you to see. There may be sidebars or advertising or other information on the QRZ.com website that helps them keep their site up. And by using CallGit, you're taking advantage of somebody else's handiwork and you're bypassing all of that information that QRZ.com has set up for you to see when you use their service. So, you know, like I said, it's up to you. Make the decision. Use the application if you want. It's it's out there. It's in the repos. Uh, have at it. And uh, if you want to send us feedback one way or the other, we'd like to hear it. Yes, we would, because I'll tell you right now, I have no problem with it. That's why I allow folks to download the other show via an RSS feed, ad-free. You know, Ted's, Ted's, Ted chimed in also and says it's because they probably, probably because they can't see the ads. So if QRZ's griping about it, I guess we'll just start calling them, uh, I don't know, WinRZ, Apple RZ, Freedom Haters RZ. Hmm. There you go. Uh, I get time kind of tired of all that crap on their side anyway. Um, I, I wish I had me a, a good, uh, good call book around here. I'd quit using them all together. I actually all find, right. I actually find myself using the uh, FCC's ULS now more than I do QRZ just because I'm getting the information straight from the horse's mouth that way. Horse's mouth? Yeah, straight from the badger's mouth. Sorry. It's the mouth part I'm having an issue with. Straight from the badger's badger. I think you're 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 confusing the indoor and the outdoor. Well, the the mouth is the talking part. That's the one that usually gives you the information. Yeah, but when was the last time you dealt with the FCC? Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> mm, we know that part will be cut out. All right, so we've we've run through some stuff here. We've give you all some feedback. Um, I'd like to apologize for the minimum amount of content. It's been a very difficult situation for both of us this past two weeks and, uh, and everything else. However, uh, you join us in two weeks. We're going to make sure we got something, uh, really good going for you. Russ will have some tales from OLF and, and life will be fantastic. You got anything you want to throw in there before we wrap it up for us? Not really, just um, glad to see everybody who came out to see us at Ohio Linux Fest and uh, hope we'll see you at our MagnetCon in May. In a couple of weeks we'll have another episode and we're actually going to talk about something, something good. Although by the time this episode comes out in its uh, edited form, it'll sound like we really knew what was going on. 
All right. So, uh, with that, did we miss some music? I think. No. No, I said, I said we were going to split the episode in half this time and just have, just have one bit of music. So. Russell get it in there somehow. So, uh, in that case, uh, this is Richard, uh, down in Bald Springs, Texas. If you want to get in contact with me, send me an email at kb5jbv at gmail.com. kb5jbv at gmail.com. Uh, y'all don't go looking for me on the social networks anymore because it's Ramadan and I'm fasting. But other than that, send me an email at kb5jbv at gmail.com. Take it away, Russ. All right. Well, I can still be found on the social networks, the intertubes, like, uh, oh, Facebook and MySpace, Foursquare, Ping.fm, Identica, stuff like that, Twitter.com even. BadgerNation. BadgerNation.com, that's right. Uh, KissMyBadger.org, stuff like that. Oh, no, KissMyBeaver.org. I'm going to go with Badger, okay? <laughs> uh, my username on those sites is J.R. Woodman, and I'm still K5TUX over at 73s.org. So check me out over there as well. You can leave us comments on the website. The website is lhspodcast.info. Click on one of the comment links and leave us some feedback. You can leave us feedback at info at lhspodcast.info. That goes to both Richard and I, and we'd like to hear from you. You can even leave us voicemail, and we'll uh, publish your voicemail on the air unless you tell us not to. The numbers for that are toll-free, 888-455-0305 or 417-200-4811, and make sure to select the appropriate option for Linux in the ham shack. So that's about it for me. Things are a little bit dreary here, but it's actually nice to have some cooler weather. Uh, We'll be back in a couple of weeks, so broadcasting from Studio 1N in the pine forest between the peaks where it's drizzling just a little bit from north central Arkansas. This is Russ, K5TUX, and to finish up the show, Richard, KB5JBV, is going to say... Oh, I was just going to say, and from Richard, who has no idea where he is or what day it is, somewhere down here in in Louisiana, we'll see y'all next time.